This is Live Booleans, where Costa and Alex chat about, well, game dev things. Video games, dev culture, tech, game design, events, and all the other stuff they love to nerd out on. So thanks for tuning in. Welcome to Live Booleans. My name's Costa, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex. How you doing, Alex? G'day, Costa. I'm doing all right. How you doing? I'm great. So this week, we're speaking with Deneth from Foxy Games. Deneth was listed as one of the top 40 upcoming South Australian business persons of 2020. His company, Foxy Games, boasts over 10 million downloads and has over a million monthly players. Some of the games include Horse Riding Tales, Dino Tamers, Wolf Tales, and Virtual Sim Story. Thank you for coming on, Deneth. Thanks for having me on, guys. Happy to be here. So, first off, you went from being an engineer in defense into making games. Tell us how that happened. Yeah, that is the first question most people usually ask me as well. <laughs> it's such a such a large shift. Um, so when I was as I was when I was younger, uh, I actually always enjoyed building things, especially digital products. Um, so it could be you know little short movies or little games, or anything really, uh, anything that combines that interest in technology and that creative space as well, that sort of intersection. Um, so even when I was like eight or 10 or something, I was always building, um, developing my skills in those kind of digital products. Um, obviously not in a serious way, but just for fun. Uh, by the time it came around, uh, the, the time came for me to sort of choose a career, I went with um, aerospace engineering. So that I was really interested in space and technology, and I probably saw more of a career path or a stable career path at the time uh, going in that direction. Uh, so I did my degree in aerospace engineering, um, graduated, then got a job with defense, and I started working there. Uh, and I was um, analyzing uh, various systems, which I you know, can't really talk about, but it, it was pretty good fun as well. Um, so after a few years in defense, uh, that sort of creative itch started to come back a little bit. And I was um, thinking, how can I, you know, uh, expand on these uh, creative uh, skills that I have had, but haven't really sort of played with in a long time. Uh, and also started getting a bit more of a kind of a business interest as well, um, especially you know when it comes to sources of things like passive income. So I tried things like affiliate marketing. Uh, I tried a whole a bunch of um, information products and all that kind of stuff. They weren't all that fun to build, um, and they weren't really successful either. But uh, I think bringing it back to apps and games, I thought you know that could be a cool opportunity, uh, a cool business opportunity while also using some of those um, skills that I have in, in technology and the creative space and that intersection as well. Because that's there were always people who were better than me in the purely technological uh, space, um, you know, purely analytical stuff. And, you know, artists and all that kind of stuff always way better than me in the purely creative space. But I think where I have that creative advantage, uh, competitive advantage is in the intersection of those two. Um, so that's the direction I thought I should probably have a good crack at, at going in. Um, and I thought it would be a lot of fun to try anyway. So um, what I did was I built a few small games in Unity. I downloaded Unity, learned how it worked just through you know, YouTube tutorials and however you do it. Um, 
I hadn't done a whole lot of programming up to that point. I knew the basics, but I, I kind of was self-taught. Um, I kept expanding on my programming knowledge as I went, um, and I released a game. Uh, I took, I think it took me about three or four months to complete. It ended up grossing like $150 or something. So, you know, um, not the best return on investment, but I learned a huge amount in that process. And then from there, uh, I thought I'd try maybe a, a different genre. I think that game was like an endless runner or something. Uh, then I tried, uh, I think something in the simulation space. Uh, and, you know, progressively the games did, you know, a little bit better and better. Eventually, when I found a bit of that financial traction, that's when I was thinking, well, maybe there's a chance here to uh, to do this full time, try build a company out of it, um, and and see where that goes. So that was the sort of beginning of of Foxy. Wow! And that was when you were actually working in defence that you were doing that on the side. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, so I was pretty busy because <laughs> I was working nine to five um, full time. And then, yeah, I came home and started, you know, conceptualizing app ideas and uh, trying to build the whole thing, even like all the way from programming to art um, to, you know, release. I was doing the whole thing. Um, so, yeah, it, it took up a lot of my free time and my weekends and things like that. When was it for you that you sort of um, made the decision to cross from it being something that you do on the side after your work into a full-time company, I guess? Yeah, I guess it, that kind of thing comes with um, financial traction because I was obviously on a stable salary and I wasn't just going to give it up um, without much hope for any success there. So yeah, uh, after, I don't know, 10 games or so that I built by myself and iterated through and learned from, I think that's when I was like, oh, I'm probably ready to actually take the next step here. Um, and then what I actually did was teamed up with uh, an investment partner as well, who we are still working with to this day, to fund an initial uh, full-time title. So this title would have, um, we would hire a couple of people for six to 12 months, and then you know release a, a decent sized title, not like the small games that I was working on before, and then see where that possibly would take us. You know, see uh, if, if the game is you know somewhat successful then we can sort of reinvest and scale and see where that takes us but initially it was just uh, i left work to pursue uh that venture for six to 12 months and see where that where that goes well and and the first game that you released was that was horse riding tales as no, as no, no it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> that, that came later that came like a year later the first game it was also like an equestrian uh related game it was called horse paradise yep uh, and that was, yeah, it, it was pretty good. It was um, much smaller in scope, but, mm -hmm. you know, we only worked on it for like six months or so. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, it did well for what we needed it at the time. Was, was it also, I know a lot of the ones that you work that you work on now are massive multiplayer online games. Was that one also in that same vein as well? Yes, yes, it was. Um, I think it was, definitely didn't have all the uh, bells and whistles of our current games, but it did have basic multiplayer virtual world sort of capabilities yeah and 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 now you sort of have i know i mean this was from a talk i think a year or two ago um, you yeah. had a million monthly players in your games i don't know if that's grown or whatever it is there but how do you mm -hmm. sort of manage that you know what's the what's the process with that you know you've got 
there's so many players that you have to sort of accommodate with and, and market to as well. That's right. I think it's gone up to about two and a half million um, across all our games. I think Boss Fighting Tales has alone one and a half million alone. Um, so yeah, it's it's massive. Um, but what we so obviously it's a lot of work to manage manage all those players. But what we sort of focus more on is we we build the systems within the games uh, for players to have interactive, engaging experiences within that. And then they take on the community building aspect to some extent. So they set up their own Discord channels. They set up their own um, web pages, fan pages, or YouTube channels and sort of connect through there. Um, so what we focus more on is, is building those systems that facilitate that kind of social interaction. So for example, recently we um, added a guilds feature in Horse Riding Tales. So people can team up and uh, and yeah, basically have uh, guilds and, and sort of compete with a team against other teams for exclusive rewards and things like that. So that's kind of the direction that, that we focus on. And then beyond things like that, we obviously have customer support. You know, we have a you know, 24 hour turnaround for I think the most important issues. Um, and we post a lot on social media, try and build a community through there. We had, we do things like drawing competitions and simple things like that. But I think really what it comes down to is those um, key features in the games that facilitate um, and grow that social aspect. And there's a lot. Do you find, oh, on, so uh, I say, do you find, because um, you just listed a few different uh, marketing avenues, um, community driven and then competitions and advertisement. Do you find uh, one more popular than the others? Like does the competitions draw more? Um, I'm not sure. We, 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 we do them as a sort of a low key thing. We don't really invest a lot in these competitions. Um, then it's the, what we probably focus more on are things like weekly events within our games. Um, so then it comes back to building features within the games rather than marketing channels outside of it. Uh, so it's a bit more of, you know, having, um, you know, for this week, if you, complete this event to this standard, you can get this reward. It's, it's that kind of thing. And that actually uh, takes players back into the game and they're really engaged for that week. So those are more of the avenues that we're focused on. And then through social media, through Instagram, you know, we would post that, you know, we have this event going on and, and things like that just for awareness. But yeah, we um, focus more on the in-game features than marketing channels. But through to marketing channels, something that's really scalable that I can talk about is user acquisition campaigns. So basically running ads. That's something that's worked quite well for us. Um, we do run, uh, I don't know how many impressions, but we, we do have a reasonable advertising budget. And then we um, run that across, you know, YouTube, Facebook ads and that kind of thing. Um, so that's probably something that's, that's quite um, scalable in, in terms of, you know, where we put effort in. Uh, but a lot of the focus otherwise is just on in-game content and, mm. and things. And how do you, how do you usually source the, uh, uh, the inspiration, I guess, for the in-game stuff as well? Is it, is it the same as, is it a team effort plus, um, getting input from the customers or getting from players as well? Is it? Yeah. Wherever possible, I think you should always get input from the customers. Um, ultimately they're the ones going to be. You know, interacting with it all. So 
any, uh, I guess, any efforts that you're going to be reaching out to the customers and seeing what they want, that's going to be extremely valuable. So we have sent out you know, surveys um, to find out what they want. Um, you know, we, we listen in on, you know, social media comments. Um, we, we, you know, tally what, what features players are most interested in. So I think that's, that's really important. And once we have a general idea um, what direction the customers want us to go in is, that's when, you know, we come together as a, as a team and figure out how we're going to actually build this. Um, so I guess that process come, starts off as a, you know, uh, you know, through the whole design document process, you know, um, got to figure out like an initial roadmap goal that we want to hit. Uh, and then as the team collaboratively iterates um, to create that product, sometimes, you know, we're, uh, we have to sort of uh, change the direction a bit uh, because, you know, we have to iterate because things don't always work out as we, as we intended. So there's this agile iterative process that always goes on from that initial design to that end product. Um, but roughly, we always start with the customer in mind as much as we can. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that there's a, I mean, it's, is there's a common theme between a lot of the games that you're releasing in terms of the demographic that you go for as well. Um, and I know that, I mean, you've sort of been releasing newer things, like I think it's Dino Tamers, which is aimed at uh, a male audience, teenage audience, whereas a lot of the other ones were sort of more um, geared towards uh, a female audience of um, in in that teenage demographic as well. Um, is that something that you you intended or you stumbled upon as you were sort of creating some of those initial um, games at Foxy Games, or was it just something yeah that sort of happened? Yeah, so the initial. <laughs> I think the most success we've had so far is with the horse riding demographic, uh, the, the teenage girls. Um, that's worked quite well for us. Um, and I think the reason we started in that direction was just chance, really. Uh, for example, my little sister, she's, a, she's an equestrian. She's a horse rider. Um, she loves that stuff. Um, I don't really know much about horses. At least I didn't back then. Um, but, you know, just from seeing the kind of games that were available to her and her friends, um, there wasn't really much out there, especially on mobile. Um, so that's kind of where we leapt in to take on that opportunity. Um, and now since we've had some success in that area, we've been trying to see what other demographics around there we could also target that might also have an interest in our games. And that's why we tried things like the dinosaur, you know, male sort of audience. Um, we, we tried a few sort of demographics around that area, which kind of lower our risk to attempt because we have some footing in there already, but at the same time, it helps us diversify our portfolio a little bit um, while not going into something like a first person shooter, which we would have probably no chance in competing with. Um, so it's that balance. Yeah. We're trying out a few things. Is there a lot of technological footing in that as well? Is it? I mean, you're utilizing a lot of the same infrastructure and technology to, to get into the different types of games? I think so. I think we try and leverage our code bases as much as possible, especially now since they're quite clean. Uh, maybe initially they weren't quite geared for that. Um, I think, yeah, well, where we don't want to go is where we're just reskinning games with new assets and releasing them onto the store because you don't add any value at all, you know, to the to the marketplace. Um, I think, yeah, 
it's just not a direction we want to go in. But where we're, like you said, leveraging that technology footing, I think that's really important because you do save a lot of time. Um, as long as the games that you produce are all unique, have unique core loops, unique concepts and all that kind of stuff, I think it's perfectly fine to leverage your, your code base and save a bit of development there. Have you found some like a uh, crossover audience like um, that you weren't really expecting or something like, like as in the yeah. people who played the equestrian games find the Dino Tales? Yeah, um, definitely have. Probably more in the uh, wolf space, actually. Uh, so again, right. called Wolf Tales. That's our second uh, best game right now. Uh, and there's actually quite a bit of crossover between uh, the horse riding tales and the wolf audience. I don't know exactly why, like fundamentally why, but there definitely is uh, within that demographic, and which is good because you know we have two games that we can offer them, um, and one can sort of feed into the other through cross promotion and things like that. Yeah. So have you? I guess yeah. Have you found like the games market themselves, or is it like like? Where would the um, the market the market would go into the game, wouldn't it? Rather than the promoting the company, because like I'm trying to wonder if there's the crossover. If they go, oh well, that's a foxy game, so I'll play this one, or yeah. if they're just treated as different entities, almost. Yeah, I always think of them quite separately. But what you can do is you can have cross promotional advertising within one game um, that links to another, basically, and that's probably the most effective way you can leverage your existing audience. So say we just released Wolf Tales, we already have a large audience within Horse Riding Tales. So we can have you know, cross promotional stuff within there where we that, that's part of that audience can um, jump into Wolf Tales as well. There is a risk of doing in doing that as well because what you're doing is you're showing the audience a new title which potentially doesn't monetize as well. So you're kind of losing some of that existing audience into that new game, which sometimes you don't want to do. Um, but when you've just released a new game, kind of any traffic is good traffic. So it's usually a good idea to cross promote that way. Um, but yeah, we always do that on a, on a per game basis rather than a, a company basis where possible. Just it's more direct, I think for the user. Mm. Yeah. Um, with the, uh, cause mobile game, obviously in console games, not only they just look different, but like, you know, the business structures are all um, different. So I was wondering if when you were saying before um, you were building your Unity games on the side while you were learning, was there always the intention to hit the mobile market or did that surprise you? Were you thinking you were going to go the premium game route? Uh, I think I was always going to go the mobile game route because the path to market is just more clear. It's more accessible. Mm -hmm. And I think it's easier to start with less connections and things in the industry which I definitely didn't have. Um, you know, it, it's really easy to start a mobile games company um, in, terms of, in terms of getting your game out there to an audience. You just have to sign up for, you know, Google Play developer and, or Apple developer, pay $150 and um, you can upload your game and it, it'll be viewed by at least a few people. Um, so I think that's the direction that was always going to be faster growth. And also as you're a, with, with a smaller team, um, you know, initially we were only, you know, a few people. It's hard to compete with the quality benchmarks that console games would probably require. It's easier to uh, deliver something to a mobile audience, which, you know, is more interested in, uh, I guess, shorter play sessions. And, and there's a certain uh, quality benchmark that is, is lower, I think, on, on mobile. So it's easier to, to get in the door there. And then once you have 
a bit of traction there, then you can start reinvesting and building on your quality and, and things like that. So yeah, I think going to mobile first was definitely um, a deliberate choice. And then now that we're there, it's working pretty well for us. And I still see some opportunities, quite a lot of opportunities into the future. So I don't really feel the need to shift. Yeah, I mean, it's going the other way. It looks like um, like the hot game really for the bridging the two is, uh, what's it, uh, Geisha? Geisha? Costa, help me out here. Where is it? The, I can't remember what it is. Pat's going to kill me. Um, there's a game at the moment where they're basically, you know, it's the same experience on console to mobile mm-hmm. where, so people were thinking, you know, our mobile will last X long, they're not whatever. But now we're finding now the console games are now having to accommodate for the mobile gaming because it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, that's right. Um, so that, yeah, they're probably got going more down the the free to play route and and um, yeah, using data, making data driven decisions, which is all really popular on mobile. I'm not sure how popular that stuff is on on console. So it might be you know pushing in that direction a bit. Yeah, yeah. Geshen Impact. I just Geshen remembered impact. it. That's what yeah, it's yeah, called. Yeah. Geshen Impact. Yeah. yeah well, I, I think analytics from a from a console point of view is a bit harder to because it's definitely one of those like you know when the game boots up you got to check it yeah and then the second you got to check it they go oh <laughs> what's going on here <laughs> yeah that's right um, but on mobile you know you have access to a lot of um insights about what players are interacting with and things like that so how, how much of that um is dictates some of the decisions you make within um your game design and that sort of stuff as well well initially not very much um because it's not an area that we were particularly skilled in um but then as we we grew and you know we've started looking more in that area we've definitely started um uh using analytics for more uh, product decisions as well it's and even just uh, decisions within a, a certain product, like what offers do you want to showcase within the, the game? You know, if you know a certain offer is really popular, then, you know, you want to push that in front of people a lot more because you know that players are more interested in that. Um, so we're doing a lot of that. We're setting up our custom dashboards and um, I'm planning when, I, when we go back to the office or when I go back to the office this year, um, sorry, next week, <laughs> um, I'm going to be setting up a, a nice dashboard across our um across all our games so it's really accessible and everyone can see you know where um what uh how the, how the games are doing and and what people are actually interacting with and things like that and is that something you want to i mean by setting up a custom dashboard for everyone that's something that you want everyone in the company to have um a view of as opposed to you know more traditional management has that sort of you know they take the decisions and then they make the they make decisions based on the on the information that they have yeah i think one thing we try and um really push is that ideas can come from anywhere Mm -hmm. so i think the more that the more of our staff that have access to that information and an interest in uh disseminating that kind of information um and then that can generate ideas based on that to management so that those finalized decisions can be made. I think the better mm-hmm. because you're you know, tapping into a larger ideas pool and we hire creatives. We're not just hiring um, programmers or artists. You know, these people have um, you know, a lot of scope for making creative um, decisions and, and ideas and things like that. So it's something I think that people enjoy and it's worth leveraging where possible. 
Um, so yeah, I definitely want people to access all that information and and help uh, the company make those decisions. Something that we really encourage. Yeah. And just touching on that, um, on actually hiring creatives, is that that sort of embedded in the culture at Foxy Games? And how was it that um, you all came about with the the type of culture that you want to um, embed there at the company? Um, yeah, so initially it was just um, hiring for talent. It was just hiring for you know, programming ability or artistic ability or whatever specific um, skills that were needed for the immediate job. Uh, I think as the company evolved, it, it the focus started to broaden a little bit more on that original ideas-based culture. So a few things I can say about culture, like some of the things that are most important, I think, are collaboration and teamwork, um, productivity, and also success, because none of those things matter if those games aren't successful, because the company won't be able to continue. Um, so a lot of our sort of day-to-day -day right now looks like, you know, we build something, we release it into the world, and then we actually see how players interact with it. That could be through analytics, through YouTube videos, or fan pages, or whatever. And I think we're really looking for people who enjoy that process and can feed off it. Um, so they can be like, oh, um, I built this this feature, you know, um, and now look at the way people are interacting with it. And they get immediate feedback, not just from the company, but from the world, you know, the, the players, which is much more uh, impactful. So now into, we're trying to in, ingrain that into the culture as much as possible, um, trying to look for people who feed off of those kind of things in addition to just having um, that raw talent for programming or art or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, and it's just worked out, I guess, that so far, you know, we, we, we do have a culture that's geared towards that and something that we encourage, yeah. That's awesome. And is that, um, are there sorts of things that you try to do to facilitate that, like activities or anything within the company that, um, you know, idea yeah. jams or hackathons or something like that. I think it's something that we need to look at more. I think I'm going to look at look at it more this year. Um, you know, we've only been around for three years. I haven't. We don't really have game jams at the moment. Um, but I think that's that kind of thing is is pretty powerful. You know, it's something that we should look at. We have thrown around those kind of ideas, but haven't really implemented anything yet. I think it would be definitely very cool. And also, I think something that's important and something that I'm going to work on more is just celebrating success with the team more. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's that's pretty important, you know, for players, for people to actually um, see the impact that their work has um, on the company, on the games, and the players. Mm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's good. It's good to hear, like you know, you're being reflective. Only three years into really development, like these are things that it takes ages usually to notice that. Oh, this is what I want to start doing with the team. So it's, yeah. it's great that you're getting on it now. Yeah, better sooner than, than later, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Has it been a, um, like, as at times, has it felt like it's gone too fast or something like that? Because three years, that is, that's as long as Melonhead's been around and we're still on our first game. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, yeah, I don't know. Um, obviously, yeah, it, it's, been a, it's been a crazy ride. Um, oh. Something that I've had to get, good at is obviously delegation because um, initially I was doing everything sort of myself um, and then de delegating that to a, a few people 
and then across to a larger team, you know, it's a deliberate effort. And I think before I was doing that, I was feeling like it's, you know, um, probably too much resting on my shoulders, possibly. Um, But then, yeah, through slowly, you know, trusting the team with more and more responsibility and setting up a a bit of a structure around how things should, um, you know, work so that things are kind of effective. Um, it's kind of helped me manage that that workload, and it's something that I'm continuing to work on. You know, it's it's probably one of the the biggest challenges that business owners have is is complete delegation, um, because especially ones who've started it by doing it all themselves. Um, mm. It's yeah, it's um, a, a challenge, but I think when you get it right, or when you get the balance right, um, it allows you to to scale and free your mind to think of like other things, the growth of the business or whatever else I need to be thinking about. Yeah. Because one thing you don't want is to be um, so involved in the development process as a business owner that, you know, you're thinking about the day-to-day programming challenges rather than where the company's going. Mm. Uh, that's mm. probably not where you want to go, but it's kind of the, the it's kind of a natural way to think for, you know, a, a, a game developer. It was natural for me to think that way as well. Um, so it was like a deliberate effort to try and get out of that mindset. I guess it's always an issue when you're, well, it's when it's a small team and, and, and some of those stuff are so imminent and that, you know, nothing can continue until you solve those problems as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, they're, they're, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm usually happy to take on those um, more immediate um, you know, legal or any kind of you know, challenges that, you know, we, we kind of face. But day to day, I'm pretty happy with the structure that we have, and you know things get things get done. So, yeah. Well, how much um, on the tools are you nowadays? Uh, I don't think I've programmed for a while. Probably about a year, maybe. I did. I wrote a few lines of code. I think last year at some point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's not something I get time to do a lot of these days. Um, one thing I really enjoyed doing um, was building trailers and uh, video promotional material for our games. And that's something I, I did pretty well, I think, for our first few games. Um, but then I found someone better than me to do that. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there are, I always try and, you know, find people who are better than me at those specific jobs and, and try and give it up, even if it's something that I do enjoy, like those trailers. <laughs> um, yeah. But there are occasions... Uh, I think I have that understanding of how things work across all those disciplines. So I can always like chip in and help. Um, so I think that's, that's probably where I'm at now. With your, um, you know, your itch when you were um, not working in game development, but learning it on the side, you know, usually that kind of trait doesn't really like leave a person. So like I'm tempted to ask, like, is there something you're working on on the side, like in your own time, like your own game or something? No, um, I think that, how I'm sort of scratching that itch now um, is conceptualizing games. So trying to figure out where we can enter a certain market um, and, and be successful as a company. Um, so there's still a lot of that creative design element in that. Unfortunately, I don't get to do a lot of the uh, programming art, but I'm okay with that because I can still sort of contribute to that creative process. Um, and it's usually just, um, you know, I think, 
well, without giving away our latest ideas, I, I think some, a certain you know market that we want to enter and look at the competition, what are they doing, and how can we be um, different and better in some aspects, and then kind of design around you know where we'd need to be to compete in there and what we have the ability to do and, and kind of um, build that initial documentation and all that kind of stuff. So I still do a lot of that stuff and I, I really enjoy it. I think that kind of gives me that creative, um, uh, create, scratches that creative itch, I guess. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting how you how you speak about it as well. It's um, in terms of market, you know, it's, it's much more business um, oriented as opposed to which um you know there is definitely the creative it, you're making games there's always yeah. the creative output as well, um, whereas you know you see indie developers who tend to look at it as I've got this really cool idea and mm -hmm. it might not be you know it's basically they might not be commercially successful because it's an idea that really isn't applicable um, to everyone. So it, it's interesting when you look at it from the from the business lens as well, where you look at the market and you look at the competitors in the market. Was that always the case? And and also how uh, how do you balance between the creative stuff that you're doing and also the business lens as well? That's a good question. It's a tough one too. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I think the the best way to answer that is you should always. To build a, a company, I think the business ends up to come first. So you have to look at that commercial landscape initially. But having that bank of ideas or that ability to think creatively about a, a game dev problem or a game dev idea, or having a lot of game dev ideas to sort of fall back on is going to be really beneficial. Um, so initially, initially, obviously, I, I, I wasn't thinking like that. I was just, yeah, I haven't. I have a, a cool idea that I just I thought I'd build, and these, these are my first games. Um, but I think I noticed the importance of of um, that business aspect more and more, um, and I, I kind of yeah I guess now it it comes as second nature, but it was a deliberate process to kind of shift from um, that into the uh, the current way of of thinking. But yeah, it's um, I think there's still a lot of room for that creative aspect and those ideas. Um, that just pop into your head for you to be able to build those. Just need to focus them around um, some business aspect if you're trying to build a company, um, and that's something that you know, um, I think I do okay at now. And yeah, it's still pretty creative, so I enjoy it. Yeah. Have there any um, like not even just in the games industry, just any industry that you look at as like a um, a waypoint, like you know, like the classic ones, like you know Tesla or something like that, but someone mm -hmm. like that you just like they've got they've got it right they you know they're an inspiration um yeah good question um there are always yeah there are always those those companies like you know tesla and spacex and all that kind of stuff um that have yeah that have like scaled so well and are delivering so much value but i, I see them as you know completely you know, next level um next many levels <laughs> from where we are now so it's almost hard to to trace back to when we they were around our size, but mm. and many of the companies that uh, I do look around and, and see, even in the mobile gaming space, you know they're probably um, targeting a very different market and, and things like that. So it's sometimes hard to see how they apply to our exact situation. But um, you know, one one thing that I've seen in many successful companies that I want to 
recreate is obviously the the culture of the people working there and the management style as well um where you know there's a more a more flat management style rather than um you know something very hierarchical and it's never going to be completely flat i'm not sure that's practical um but something that allows people freedom to you know um have initiative over what they're doing and and feel like they have ownership over what they're producing i think that's a direction that we really need to go in um so any companies that are doing that kind of thing um definitely would look up to and research what they're doing and things like that mm-hmm. are there any of these um skills that you've picked up just from out of necessity from work you know running foxy yeah. games uh any what skills sorry like any of these um uh like leadership skills that you've picked up almost like inadvertently oh, okay. just from working at Fox, not working at, sorry, running yeah. Foxy games and working at Foxy oh, games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, uh, I, I like to think that I've built up some, um, some leadership and management skills, um, and obviously business skills and things like that. And it's all mm. been very kind of a natural progression. Um, I, I haven't really done any particular training in that area. It's just kind of out of necessity um, so when, you know, a certain situation we come across that, you know, we, someone will need to step up and, and um, I guess, you know, lead the way, then it, it, when, I, when I was working at Defence, you know, someone else would always step in and, and take on that challenge and I, I didn't really have to. So here I've kind of had to, um, um, yeah, step into that. And I think just by trial and error and, and working at it, um, it's, it's something that, you know, I've, I've done okay at, but I think there's always room for growth. <laughs> mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, something I want to ask actually was about when you sort of first started, I know you sort of um, spoke about going to get investment as a, as a means of uh, bootstrapping to yeah. sort of work on your first game as well. Um, mm-hmm. How does that, why was it that you went down that decision as opposed to more traditional uh I guess the more traditional roadmap of, you know, you, you might get uh, projects that you go and get contracts basically, yeah. you know, um, and then bootstrap from there and then funnel that money into building your own product as opposed to just here's the product I want to build and let's build it. Was there a conscious decision there or was it more of a, I just wanted to build this thing and, and I think investment would be the best way to do that. Yeah. I would, I'd like to take all the credit by saying that I was, I had thought of it all before, but Beforehand, but no, I think it was just a matter of um, I wanted to build something and just I don't think contract work would have scratched that creative itch for me. Uh, I wasn't really looking down there, down that direction. And now, um, in hindsight, I'm glad um, I didn't because I know contract work can be rather restrictive um, in terms of how far or how quickly you can scale. So I think one of the reasons we have been able to scale so quickly is that we've always worked on original IP. Um, and that has a lot higher uh, margins when you get it right, but also much higher risk. So if you get a few titles right, it does help you scale, um, but you have to manage the risk, obviously. Um, yeah, so it's not something I was I was um, deliberately looking to get in, uh, deliberately made a choice between at the start. But yeah, I'm kind of glad it worked out that way. And also, I didn't really know where I could find contracts at that point. You know, I didn't have any connections. Um, or anyone I could ask. So I just built my own thing. 
so you're more just utilizing the skills that you had at the time to to get to where you wanted to be pretty much yeah yeah I, I thought that would probably be the way to go for me um yeah yeah it's just kind of worked out that way <laughs> and and as you sort of scale now is there um what sort of uh skills do you look for within new people that you hire is there you know, is there certain soft skills or hard skills that you look for? Um, and obviously, I know you've been talking about the culture part of that as well. Um, how is it that you try to source your candidates? Yeah, so we, you know, we source them through the usual um, avenues like um, Samia and, and Indeed and LinkedIn and stuff, which is, is worked out pretty well. Um, so other than, you know, that that raw talent of for programming or art or whatever it is, um, uh, the basic thing is just how well can you get along with them and how well can they get along with the rest of the team as well, because it is such a collaborative environment. And yeah, people who are always excited to, to sort of take ownership of a product and, and, you know, have initiative to maybe try, um, try new things or are, are interested in how players actually receive um, the, the, the game that they've, um, build so they can sort of feed into feed off um, all that feedback. You know, people are interested in in releasing things. Um, who are excited by that? I think always make a good fit at Foxy, and it's something that we're starting to look at more and more. And in terms of the talent pool, I think we have a lot of um, really good um, developers and artists and and things like that in the state and also in the country. Uh, we've we have managed to. Um, uh, get some people down from interstate to work with us here as well. Where the talent is a little bit more difficult to source is when you get to the higher level, um, I guess, revenue pipeline where, you know, you're, you're thinking about how ads and analytics and monetization all kind of tie in together and how that pipeline kind of feeds in. Um, so we are looking for someone like a, you know, like a chief revenue officer, for example, and that's a really tough uh, really tough to find someone who has all those uh, qualifications and, and experience in Australia. Um, I, I think I don't think there are many people in Australia who are able to, or who have the experience to do that at the moment. Um, and if there are any, they're probably working at some of the larger studios already. Um, so there are some gigs that are hard to find in Australia, but you know, in most cases for the general day-to-day -day stuff, um, there's a pretty good talent pool here, I think. With the um, like the uh, what was the role? Sorry, chief was it chief monetization officer? It's something or like that. You know, it, it's 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 uh, I call it chief revenue officer, and revenue it's someone who it. understands the analytics pipeline and how that feeds into monetization decisions, but also into you know um, app store optimization and you know keywords and um, back into you know organic traffic and paid traffic and understands the linkages between all those things, um, and it's something that. Uh, helps helps uh, mobile game companies scale, and it's great to have a single point of contact for something like that. I have been taking on a, a bunch of that role currently, and it's it's something that I found you know that's really hard to to hire out, um, which is okay. But if we wanted to you know scale again, it's something that I would like to probably um, get some help with. You know, so if anyone listening does is looking for you know like an awesome a uh, great well-paid job <laughs> in that kind of space um definitely hit me up yeah absolutely there's because i'm definitely thinking there's there'd be some crossover with um people i've worked with in the past of uh, at universities of um 
you know, looking at um, their own marketing campaigns and, and things like that and looking in the ad space. And mm-hmm. it would definitely be like there'd be a... You would need the passion, I guess, of the games, but it wouldn't be hard to transfer those skills, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's possibly just that the need hasn't really been there um, for many of these kind of roles. So people aren't going in that direction naturally. Possibly mm. if there were some larger or more larger companies um, in South Australia or Australia, uh, maybe it's a role that you know we would find more of. But it's yeah, an interesting one. It's not one. It's not. Um, it's not something that I've um, I've found um, easy to hire out. Mm. I, and, yeah. and I haven't seen much many titles like that. Do you know what I mean? When you when you, when oh. you look at uh, companies in Adelaide, say it's you know you don't really get many um, chief revenue officers, especially in game companies. You, mm-hmm. And you've got a lot of universities uh, training people in more specific programming or graphics or design, especially when yeah. it comes to games. It's like a specialization. Um, so yeah, you can you can have like a, a, a graphics specialization within programming, but then this is like a, um, a specialization at the more business level. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting one for sure. And uh, a question we always like to ask. Um, developers who are from South Australia and um, I guess this kind of leans into what you were saying about how there isn't enough of those uh, ro- um, people in those careers around um, what what would be a great South Australia for Foxy Games really like obviously one where you've got your um, revenue offices <laughs> um, but um, what else what else can SA do to grow in that industry I think something that would help is um, uh, and it an environment where where there's that um, sustainable growth, I guess. So if there's enough large companies in SA, then it's something that you know interstate people would always look to SA as like a, a game gaming hub. You know, if if they know if they pick up a contract at a company and it doesn't work out, they can always move to the next one. Um, so having that initial scale in the SA games industry would definitely facilitate a lot of that, I think. Um, and obviously with a bit of um, government support, which uh, recently there's been the announcement of the BGD rebate, which is fantastic. Um, you know, we're hoping those kind of things would help lure some of the um, larger developers to South Australia or helping some of the larger companies in SA grow. Um, you know, as as that happens, you know, slowly that that growth process would hopefully, um, yeah, make it make it more of a sort of sustainable hub for game development. Yeah, and that's definitely been the the underlying theme with a lot of the South Aussie guests is basically that is how do we bring more people in and how do we grow what we have? Yeah, you know, what, what kind of education is required to for the startups and stuff like that? Yeah, that's right. Um, and yeah, obviously supporting um, startups who have the right ambitions and, and things like that will help as well. But I think, yeah, mainly um, having having that scale of, of companies in, in SA um, would would just automatically take care of a lot of the, the issues, I think. Um, if we can get to that stage, that'd be awesome. Yeah, for sure. Fantastic. Um, one other last thing that we like to add is uh, if you can give advice to any aspiring game developers out there or something that they should focus on or something that they should uh, work towards, um, 
Or something you've come across that you thought was valuable, what would that piece of advice be? I'd probably say focus is probably the most important um, piece of advice I could give. So knowing where to put your energy, uh, because you're going to expend energy in, in development regardless of what you do. So if you have a direction and you're very clear on that direction, um, whether it's through research or um, any particular reason that you are pushing in a certain direction, just know what that reason is. Um, and when you have that focus, then it really makes whatever you're building have, you know, 10 times more impact than if you're just building it because um, you, you, ju you just want to execute a particular idea. If you know why you want to execute it and you have that focus, um, I think it's something that's quite powerful. And I think the second thing is, um, in especially times like, you know, these with coronavirus and, um, you know, a lot of uncertainty going on, it's, you know, um, don't give up just because, you know, um, it's not working out currently. Um, as long as you keep learning from um, any failures that you've had, uh, as long as you keep iterating, you know, you're obviously, every time you iterate um, on a game and you've learned something, then you're kind of increasing your chances of success down the road. And eventually um, the odds will just work in your favor that, you know, this next game is going to be a hit. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just keep working at it. Fantastic. That's amazing. Great news. Great advice as well. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, how can people reach out or, you know, what are the, uh, the social media channels they can uh, find you at? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So feel free to send me an email at you know, dinner at foxygames.com. Um, but if you want to learn more about our games, it's uh, look up foxyventures.com or uh, search Foxy Ventures up on social media. So there we have links to all our uh, current titles as well. So if you love horse riding, you know, you'll love us. <laughs> <laughs> Check it out. It's, it's fantastic. Thank you for coming on, Dineth. No worries. Thank Thanks, you, guys. Dineth. It's been great. It's been a pleasure.